go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one of these uh, somewhere around you on the floor, and it's page 677 in these Bibles. Hey, on July 30th, 1985, so think back 30 plus years ago now, July 30th, 1985, the public swimming pools in New Orleans, in the city of New Orleans, closed early for the day. And they closed so that the lifeguards could have a party. And the party was to celebrate the fact that uh, it was the first year in recent memory in the city pools of New Orleans where no one had drowned. And so the lifeguards uh, closed the pools early. They got together. Over 200 people attended this party, including 100 lifeguards and 100 other uh, guests and volunteers at the parks. Uh, There was food, drink, dancing, and, of course, swimming. And at the end of the night, about 11 p.m., one of the lifeguards blew the whistle for everybody to get out. Apparently, lifeguards have to get out during adult swim, too. And uh, everybody gets out of the pool. And when they did, they found James Moody, 31 years old, lying in the deep end of the pool And he had drowned. He had drowned in the Olympic-sized swimming pool, uh, surrounded by 100 lifeguards. And when you hear this story, and when I heard this story this week, I thought, how is that possible? Like, how could that happen that, that someone, some people, hundreds of people who were trained to know the drill, right, to to keep their eye uh, on the warning signs of someone drowning? How could they completely miss a man falling into the pool and drowning? Don't you wonder that when you hear that story? But have you ever thought about the people in your life that are drowning? You know, the families, the couples around us who are drowning in their marriage, uh, families who are drowning in debt, people who are drowning in depression, they're drowning in their circumstances. And sometimes in those people's lives, all it would take is one follower of Jesus to reach into their situation, to to share our life with them, and they could be rescued. And what I want you to think about today as we talk about this topic is who is it in your life that you know that's drowning? You know, we're in the seventh and final week of our series called Profile, as Alyssa said, and, and we're talking about the characteristics of a mature disciple. In other words, we're looking at a picture of what a mature disciple looks like from Scripture. We've taken our cue from John fifteen eight, where Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And out of this, we see that Jesus lays out in this verse what a disciple looks like. He says that a disciple first is following Jesus, someone who follows him. That a disciple is interested in giving God glory. And in fact, we've said that if you want to live a successful life, the successful Christian life, what that looks like is that we make giving glory to God the aim of our life. You may remember that week three, I had the target up on stage and we talked about the aim of your life being, uh, bringing glory to God and that, that uh, we're bearing much fruit. And we've said after a lot of study that we believe that there are four fundamental areas that God wants us to be growing in. And they are, they, we call them the four eyes. They are identity, intimacy, integrity, and influence. And we spent a lot of time the last few weeks talking about how we arrived at this profile, so I don't want to spend a lot of time going over, for, going over it for you, but if you've missed kind of how we've come up with this profile, um, all six weeks, previous six weeks of this series are on uh, our app or on iTunes, or you can find them, you can link to them from the Genesis Church website. But today, I want to look at the last of these four eyes influence. And as Alyssa said, it's maybe the most intimidating one for some of us. And especially for you introverts out there, uh, I want you to know that I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Uh, I saw a shirt yesterday that said, introverts of the world unite separately and in your own places, right? So 
I know, I know how you feel. I'm not one of you, but, but I'm with you in spirit, okay? And so uh, I want to talk about this fourth eye of influence. And how does it relate to our faith? And what I want to do first is I want to start by looking at a call that Jesus gives to all of us in Matthew chapter 4, and then we'll go from there. So just to set the stage where we are when we get to Matthew 4, um, Jesus has been doing ministry for about a year and a half or two years now. Okay, this is, this is not the first interaction he's going to have with these people. Uh, we're going to see this, and we're going to see what happens in this moment, and we're going to think, man, Jesus must have had some charisma or some personality because he goes and he makes a call to these guys, and they drop everything, and they follow him. Well, now, let's just make sure that we get the time right. Jesus has been with these guys for a year and a half or two years, and many of them were with him from day one of his ministry. Okay, so this is not their first encounter. Matthew four nineteen, Jesus comes up to some fishermen on the shore, and he says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then if you look at what's next, it says they immediately drop their nets and follow Jesus. Uh, but this has been a decision that they've been wrestling with. So this simple statement by Jesus, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people, is at the root of what it means for a Christian to have influence. He's talking about making disciples. He says, after you've followed me for a while, I'm going to send you out to go make disciples who make disciples. This, uh, in Matthew 4.19, this is both an invitation and a command. All right, it's an invitation to a greater calling. It's an invitation to a greater purpose for your life. Sometimes you might think, uh, is this the Christian life? Is this all there is? Well, this, this is it. Like, this is what we've been called to do. It's an invitation to greater purpose in your life. I mean, how, how much greater purpose can you have than emptying hell and filling up heaven? I can't think of any, right? So it's an invitation to a greater purpose, but it's also a command, it's something that Jesus gives to every follower of his. So um, after week three, I think it was after week three when I talked about the aim of your life, a friend came up and asked this question. And it's one that I've sensed from many of you that you have. So I thought I'd address it from the stage. Here was a question. I thought it was a great question. He says, do you think disciple making is for everyone? And so I want to be very clear about this, okay? Disciple making is not for everyone. There are some people who shouldn't be making disciples. They aren't equipped they aren't gifted. They don't have the right DNA. Okay, here's the thing. I want you to hear me very carefully on this. Disciple-making is only for Christians. Disciple-making is only for Christians. It's only for followers of Jesus. Other people shouldn't be making disciples, but followers of Jesus should be making disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, he will issue this command to you too. Follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. In other words, Jesus says, follow me, and I will give you influence over others in your community, in your workplace, in your school, in your friend circles, in your hobby groups. Follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. Now in this command, Jesus tells us three things about our influence as Christians. In Matthew 4, 19, he tells us three things about our influence as Christians. I want you to see that Dan Spader, uh, the author Dan Spader is one of the first ones that pointed this out to me. Number one, Jesus says, follow me. So he says that one, influence is relational. Right, there's a relationship aspect here. He says, that's the first step. You have to follow me. Look, we can have all kinds of influence with people. I mean, I, I, I don't, even if I don't know you very well, I bet that you are the expert in something. Like in your friend group, there's a group of people that turn to you when it comes to fitness or diet, uh, when it comes to photography or technology or fashion. And we can, all of us have some area that we have influence in, right? And we can use that platform uh, to have influence with people in those areas. 
But the area where it's most critical to have influence with people is in the spiritual realm, in spiritual life, right? It's, it's making disciples of Jesus. And for that, Jesus is very clear. We have to be following him. That we won't be able to have spiritual influence unless we are in a relationship with Jesus. So influence is relational. That's the first step. Number two, Jesus says, follow me and I will send you. So influence is intentional. Or maybe your translation says, if you're reading your Bible, I will make you fishers of men, right? Or I will uh, teach you to fish for people. And so if you think, I'm not ready to make disciples or I'm not qualified or I just don't know how, I want to just affirm you today. I want to tell you that no one starts out knowing how to make disciples. That Jesus says, I will make you into a disciple maker. It's a skill that we need to acquire. Skill needs to be developed, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes of how we acquire and develop that skill. But Jesus promises that if we follow him, he will make us into fishers of people. So no one starts off their swimming career as a lifeguard, right? You've got to learn to swim for yourself. You don't see a, a three- or four-year-old graduate their swim lessons and go, okay, I'm ready to go be a lifeguard. Let me, let me sit in the big chair. No, you have to learn to swim for yourself And then eventually you start to learn those skills of how to save other people, right? In the same way, the Christian life starts with you following Jesus, growing in our identity and intimacy with God and integrity. And then Jesus sends you out, intentionally sends you out to fish for people. So, so far we see influence is relational. It's intentional. And finally, Jesus says, I will teach you to fish for people. Influence is missional. Like that should become our mission. The idea of fishing for people should eventually become our mission. At Genesis Church, our mission is helping people find their way back to God, uh, which is our way of saying that we exist to make disciples who make disciples. And early on after coming to Genesis, I, that mission like really like made something excited in me. Like it really grabbed my heart. And I decided that that was going to be my mission, the mission of my life. I was an elder here before I was a, a pastor at Genesis. And I, and I just decided that, you know what? That was going to be my life's mission was helping people find their way back to God. And, and so at Genesis, that's what we're all about. We're all about helping people make disciples who make disciples. I mean, because the truth is, as a church, we could do lots more cool stuff. I mean, we could have a better show on stage, We could play more secular songs and get bigger crowds. We could build bigger, nicer buildings. We could have more ministries for more different types of people. And and you know what? Other churches do those things, and it's great. And I'm glad that they do them. We don't hate other churches for that. We pray for other churches. We partner with other churches. There are so many great churches in Hamilton County that are doing so many great things. But but that's not Genesis. For, For too long, I believe, the churches in Hamilton County have been fighting over the same group of people. Like there's this group, believe it or not, that goes from church to church looking for the one that has the teaching they like and they agree with and the music that they love and the student ministry that has the most games. And man, all those things are important and they matter. But honestly, I don't want to grow Genesis Church by stealing sheep from somebody else's pasture. Like I would much rather just go out and reproduce more sheep. Let's be a disciple-making church. Let's focus on less on growing our church and more on growing the kingdom. And that's what this series has been all about. And so I don't know how many of you have been here for more than five years, um, but if you, uh, if you came with us from Noblesville, there was a group when we launched this campus from Noblesville, there was a group of about 130 of us that came from the Noblesville campus to here. And before we launched this campus, we did some research uh, about Hamilton County and churches in Hamilton County. What we found was staggering. We found that in a place like Hamilton County, where pretty much everyone's a Christian, or says they are, uh, we found a, there were about 200,000 people in Hamilton County that don't go to church anywhere. 
Like I said, on any given Sunday, there are 200,000 people just in this county alone, and I know not all of you are from Hamilton County, but in this county alone, without a church home. Doesn't that break your heart? No, seriously, stop for a minute. I mean, the, the, the single mom that you work with who's trying to raise her kids on her own, she doesn't have a tribe to help her. She doesn't have spiritual guidance or people to be the rock that she needs in her life. Or that, that couple across the street, the ones that you hear from time to time arguing with one another. Like, they don't have a place to go for spiritual guidance. They, 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 they know that they could use some of what you have in Jesus, but they don't have a church where they can go and be filled with the word and be convicted of their sin and be changed by the blood of Christ. That, that lonely kid at lunch that sits at lunch table at school, you know, the one that sits all by himself, the weird one, like he doesn't have a group of students like you guys who can accept him for who he is and who lead him into God's word when he's going off course. 200,000 people just in Hamilton County who don't have a church home, most of whom don't have a relationship with the living God who loves them and created them and wants the best for them. And yet all around, there are all these great churches filled with great people, well-meaning people, and honestly, most of us aren't using our influence to reach those people. The late author and radio show host Paul Harvey said it this way, we have drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. Now, how do we move back? How do we get back to being fishers of people that Jesus called us to be? Well, it starts at home. I mean, literally in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. There is a group of people around you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. There's a group of people around you who you might be the only follower of Jesus they know. Everything they know about Jesus comes from what they know about you. (laughs) That's a scary thought, isn't it? There's a person or people in your life with whom you have unique influence because they, they know you, they trust you, they like you, and so they're willing to listen to what you have to say. I can't reach those people. I don't know them. Like Our staff, we can't reach those people. They, they may never set foot in our church, at least not in their present state. And maybe you think, well, I'm, I'm just their boss, or I'm just their teacher, or I'm just their trainer, or I'm just their neighbor. And what they really need from me now is fill in the blank. You know, what they really need is advice. That's what they really need. What they really need is food. I mean, they're not, they're not able to eat. What they really need is some more money. And, and I'm here to tell you what they really need is Jesus. That, that people who have a debt problem, yeah, they need money. But more than that, they need Jesus in their life. People who have marriage problems, you know, yeah, they need some counseling maybe. But what they really need is Jesus in their lives. Right? Those lost people you see all around may need help with their physical needs or their emotional needs. But the most important thing is that they need Jesus. He's the one thing that matters most. The only thing that will matter 100 years from now is somebody's relationship with God. And as a pastor, I get to see all the time people coming to me and say, I need help with this. What should I do? And God has really made me into a more compassionate person because in the past, what I wanted to say was, just do the things I've been telling you to do for the last two years. Because what you really need in your life is Jesus. If you had Jesus in your life, you wouldn't have got to this situation. And if we can be proactive with the people in our lives and introduce them to Jesus, maybe we can stop some of those physical needs, some of those emotional needs. See, so how do you even begin these conversations? Alyssa alluded to this. Like, it's really intimidating for a lot of us to begin these conversations. Well, whether we're talking about a follower of Jesus or a seeker, someone who's not a believer, there's a set of skills we've been teaching for a year, a year and a half or about now. It's called spiritual CPR. 
And if you have been attending our Multiply gatherings on Tuesday nights, um, some of this will be review for you, but I want to affirm you that this is really important. It's what we're doing, but most of you haven't heard this. So if you've learned a physical CPR, you know it's used in an emergency situation to save someone's life. About two years ago, our staff uh, took a CPR class uh, here at the church. And that's uh, our staff at the time and some other people who took this CPR class. You'll be happy to know that if you stop, oh, Kyle Howe in the back, Kyle uh, led through this class. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, very informative. You'll be happy to know that if you have a heart attack or stop breathing at church, any person in this picture will be able to help you and bring you back to life. Well, any person except Kevin Russell. We, uh, during this class, I don't know if you remember this, Kyle, we decided that if, if I'm dying, I want Kevin praying for me, but I don't want him performing CPR on me. <laughs> and so if something were to happen, God forbid, and you have a heart attack here at church and you see Kevin coming to you, just ask him to pray for you, okay? If you can get your facilities about you, but get somebody else to administer CPR, okay? Well, spiritual CPR is just like physical CPR, but it's used in special situations. It's used to develop Christ-centered friendships. In a way, spiritual CPR is designed to meet someone in an emergency situation and quite literally breathe life back into them spiritually. Now, side note, um, all non-believers need spiritual CPR. But if you do see someone who's a non-believer dying of a heart attack, please administer real CPR before spiritual CPR. If you, don't, if you see somebody having a heart attack, don't go up to them and say, hey, if you die today, do you know where you'll go? Because if you don't do anything, there's a very real chance they will die today. Go there, start pumping that chest, and then, you know, I, 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 staying alive. Right, Kyle? I remember that. See? I have a card in my wallet if you want to see it. Once they're alive, you can start talking to them about spiritual CPR. Where were we? Oh, spiritual CPR. Okay, in this case, spiritual CPR. CPR stands for cultivate, plant, and reap. Cultivate, plant, and reap. CPR. C, we cultivate. Cultivating in farming terms is preparing the soil. In spiritual terms, it's you're building the relationship. I mean, you don't come up to somebody you barely know right away and say, hey, how's your day going? Would you like to know how to know Jesus personally? Uh, that may work if the Holy Spirit is with you. That will work. Uh, but in most cases, it's better, more effective to take someone you don't know and get to know them first. Right? Find out about their family, about their work life, about their interests, their hobbies. Ask them questions. You're just becoming their friend. That's cultivating. And in scriptural terms, cultivating is simply uh, deepening friendships. Right? You're working the soil. It may be with a, a fellow believer, someone who's a little bit behind you in their journey, or it could be with someone who's far from God. You know, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm so concerned with my own personal holiness that I'm kind of afraid to be seen around sinners, and especially people who have a reputation. You know, like, it's like their sin is contagious, like it's going to rub off on me. But, but Jesus was all over them. He, he ate with them. He went to their homes. He wasn't afraid to be seen with them or ashamed of them. Now, he never let them distract him from his purpose. Like he never got caught up in what they were doing. And that's, that's a danger. If you have a tendency when you're with sinners to sin with them, you have to be careful about that. You need to know how to guard your heart against that. But Jesus, we see Jesus all the time. He's in people's homes. He's, he's going to their parties, going to their friend groups. He was called a friend of sinners and drunkards and tax collectors. You know, and so would pe do people, your non-Christian friends know that about you? Do they know that, you know, you're willing to be seen with them, that you're willing to come to their house, that they don't have to guard themselves around you? 
You know, Jesus, Jesus was that guy. Now, uh, he wanted to see them enter the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to see with sinners. We want to see them enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus cultivated those relationships. We need to cultivate those relationships. And then when the time is right, we go to P, we plant. Planting is uh, planting seeds of faith. Planting is introducing the seeds of God's truth into those friendships. And so, uh, because we don't know everything that Jesus said and did, I mean, if you think about it, we effectively have like an accelerated history of Jesus's life, right, in the Gospels. We, we uh, don't, obviously, clearly don't get all of his words. We miss a huge uh, swath of his ministry. But because of that, um, there, we have very few places where we get to see Jesus actually plant seeds. But there's one great example in John chapter 4 uh, where he interacts with a woman at the well. And so he starts off with a simple question. He asks her for a drink of water. And when she turns the subject to religion, then he starts to interject what he knows about God. Jesus starts to plant seeds. And he says, well, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would have asked me for water and I would give you uh, the living water. And then he says, you know, a time is coming when true worshipers won't worship uh, here on this mountain or here, here, they'll worship in spirit and in truth. He starts to introduce God into the conversation. And this is where so many of us get stuck in our relationships, uh, that, that we are, some of us are really good at cultivating that relationship and building that relationship, building that friendship. And that's, that's a comfortable place to be. We're just tilling the soil and, and we can sit down with the same people week after week and have the same conversations week after week after week and it never gets any deeper than that. We never start planting seeds of God into that conversation because then that's where it gets uncomfortable. Because if we believe that they don't really know us and they don't really know who we are, then they're going to have a hard time when we start talking about God and they're going to think we're weird and they're going to back away and then we're going to lose a friend, right? But pea planting is so important. You know what's true is that there are a lot of people out there that have a bad impression of the church, that they've been burned by the church or they, they have a bad taste in their mouth over the word evangelical because of the way the press uses it and evangelical Christians believe this, like we're all like some big massive people who have one belief system, right, about politics or whatever. And so people get a really bad feeling uh, in their gut about the church or about the word evangelical because, you know, I just don't want to talk about religion. But most of them, even if they don't have a good impression about Christians, will have a good impression of Jesus, and so when those conversations start and they say, you know what, I don't go to church, but I worship my own way, or I don't really believe in the Bible because how can a man get swallowed by a fish and then spit back out on the land and blah, 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 blah. And you have all these, these very valid, you know, disputes, but you could say, well, you know, Jesus said this, or here's what Jesus had to say about that. Because people have a hard time arguing with Jesus, even if they can have an easy time arguing with the Bible. So planting involves asking good questions, questions that take the conversation deeper. I love Kevin Russell said this a couple weeks ago, and I love this. He says, questions open doors in the spiritual realm. That's so true. Good questions can turn the conversation deeper. Questions like, what's God teaching you these days? Or, or, or what's your number one priority right now? What's the aim of your life? Remember that question from a few weeks ago? That's a great uh, planting question. What's the aim of your life? What are you shooting for? Where do you see God working? How can I be praying for you? Great ways to plant seeds. So, so we cultivate C, we, we plant P, and then finally the R is reaping. We reap, cultivate, plant, and reap. Reaping is bringing in the spiritual harvest. In terms of spiritual CPR, reaping is challenging someone to respond in obedience to God. We're challenging them to respond in obedience to God. We're, we're calling for a response. Man, if you thought planting was hard, this is where it really gets hard. 
because we're challenging people. And, and most of us don't like challenging people, especially don't like challenging our friends. But in every one of these relationships, there's going to come a time when we need to challenge somebody to that next step. And the most important next step we can challenge someone to is to respond in faith to trust Christ with their life. Uh, Reaping with a non-Christian means you pray for them first. You find a clear, concise way to share your story of what God's done in your life because they're going to believe what's happened to you before they believe some ancient book that they don't really read. Right? They're going to see what's happened in your life. If they're your friend, they know you, they trust you, they believe you. You can tell them what's happened in your life. They're going to believe what's happened in your life, even if they don't believe what the Bible has to say about it. So you have to be able to share your story. And then you have to find a way to share the gospel with them. It doesn't have to be fancy. There are all kinds of tools. Um, we'd love to be able to equip you with some of these. You can walk them down the Romans road. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's in the book of Romans. There are several verses. You can Google Romans Road this week. You'll see it points to various passages of, passages of Scripture that remind us that we all fall short of the glory of God uh, and the wages of sin are death, but that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's an easy way to walk through the book of Romans with people and show them uh, God's plan for salvation. Or it could be something you learn from a book or a publication or a tract, something like the four spiritual laws from Campus Crusade for Christ. This has been around for a long time. Again, you can look it up this week. If you Google four spiritual laws, this is what you'll see. Basically, it says that God loves you and created you to know him personally, but that man is separated from God because of our sin. And that Jesus Christ is God's only provision. Uh, to, to be saved from our sin and have a relationship with him. And we must individually trust Jesus in order to know God's love. Really simple ways to share the gospel. However you do it, you need to have a way to succinctly share the gospel and then call for a response. My favorite question uh, for reaping is this. What's stopping you? Like what's preventing you today from having a relationship with Jesus. And, and a lot of times, people still have legitimate concerns, and if they do, offer to walk through those with them. Let's look through Scripture together, okay? Let's, let's find the answers to your questions. Let's look at that together. Pull out, the, pull out the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about those concerns or questions. We cultivate, we plant, we reap in order to disciple people into relationship with God or into a deeper relationship with God. Now, the last question on your mind, we've talked about why, we've talked about how. The last question on your mind is probably Who? Like, who am I going to do this with? Who, who, who am I going to try this with? Who's going to be my guinea pig, right? Who's going to be the person that bears the brunt of my learning <laughs> in this area? And especially if you've been a believer for a long time, you may be at a place where you don't have a lot of non-Christians in your life. You know, I was talking to a pastor a few weeks ago, and he told me this, and this broke my heart. He said, I don't think I want to be a pastor forever because I want to be able to be friends with non-Christians. And that broke my heart to hear that. I mean, it's true that we can get so caught up in church and in our connection group and our church friends that we are blind to the needs of people around us. We can be so focused, in other words, on our lifeguard party that we miss the person drowning in the end of the pool. But I want you to know that this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that Jesus talked about with his disciples more than 2,000 years ago. It happened in John chapter 4. I mentioned this story a few minutes ago. Jesus and his followers are walking through Samaria, which is an area that Jewish people usually didn't go because they didn't like Samaritans. Jesus has this interaction with a woman who is at the well to get water in the middle of the day. She's a woman of poor reputation, and she's a Samaritan, so two strikes against her. 
And, and when Jesus is having this conversation and when his disciples return, they went out to get food while Jesus was at the well getting water. He's talking to this woman. The disciples come back. They see him talking to this woman and they're incensed. They can't believe that Jesus would be talking to this Samaritan woman of ill repute. And they come back and they're mad at Jesus, but they don't say anything because he's their boss kind of, right? He's their friend and he knows, but they're, they're probably looking at him askew. Remember, friend of sinners, Right? And his disciples are angry that he would be talking to this woman. And Jesus says this in John 4, 35. He says, I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I think if Jesus were to step into your life and into your context today, he would tell you to do the same thing. He would say, open your eyes. Look all around you. Look on your child's team. Look out your kitchen window at the house next door. Look across the hall to that locker over there. Look, look out your cubicle to the next cube. Look at the guys you play basketball with. The harvest is ripe. There's a world full of people who need to know the saving power of Jesus Christ, and you have it. If you're a Christian, you have the answer. How rude and unloving is it for you to keep that to yourself? So as we close today, um, I wanted to come up with an exercise to help you think about who's in your harvest field and what are your next steps. And, and so if you've got a notes card today, one of these, I want you to get that out. And again, if you've been in our Multiply gatherings, you've done this in the past week. So you don't have to do it again, but you're, you're welcome to. Um, but this exercise is for Christians only. If you're a non-Christian today, you get a pass. You don't have to do this. You can... Um, you can uh, just think about what this means for you in your life, okay? But, but here's what I've got on here, the first line, and if you have the app, you can look on the app too, but it's p- potential mission fields. There are two or three places where you are uniquely called. Maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's a hobby group that you're a part of, maybe it's your school, maybe it's your neighborhood. Just, just write down two or three places that could be your potential mission field. I'm gonna give you about a minute to do that. So underneath that, you'll see three or four blanks under each one of those potential mission fields. I just want you to pick one or two of those fields and just start writing names of people in there. And they may be people who you know are not believers or maybe they're a Christian, but they're relatively new. Maybe they're a little bit behind you on, your, on their walk or maybe you don't know where they stand. And so we're not gonna judge people at this point, right? We're not going to, uh, we're not going to, um, leave people off. We just want to start listing names of people that that might be true under one or two of those fields. I'm going to give you about a minute to do that, right? So just names of people in that harvest field uh, that might be potential disciples for you.
here's what I want to do. I don't ever want to do this in the absence of prayer. And so uh, what I want to do is just take a moment. I want to pray over all those names that you've written down. And uh, we'll pray together. And then maybe the Lord will reveal a couple to you. And if he doesn't, maybe you have to take this with you, okay? But um, let's just stop right here and let's pray. Lord, you have given us names of people who are potential disciples for us, people that may be drowning. They may, uh, we may not know where they are, but Lord, I want you to show us uh, in our hearts who you want us to invest in, who are the people that we should be discipling. God, give us those names right now. Now, maybe the Lord is speaking to you right now and you've got a name or two of somebody that you know you're supposed to be discipling. I just want you to circle those names on your card right now. One or two of those names. It doesn't have to be everybody, just one or two people. And then right next to those names, I want you to write the letter of where you are in the CPR process. Maybe you're in the process of cultivating. Maybe you don't even know them. You need to cultivate a relationship with them. Just put a C there. Maybe you've known them for a while and you've been working on that relationship, but you know you've been slow to plant seeds of God and you need to pee. No, not that you need to pee. You need to plant. You're going to write a pee. Maybe you need to pee, but you need to plant. Write a pee next to them. Or maybe you've been talking about God for a long time, but you don't know where they stand. You need to call them for a response. And so you're going to write R for reaping there. All right, now you have your instructions. Now, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. In the next week, before you come back here on Sunday, I would love for you to take at least one step toward having influence with one of those people. Maybe it's to invite somebody to lunch or to have them over for dinner. Maybe it's to start a conversation over the back fence at home. Uh, Maybe it's uh, some other step that you know that God's calling you to take. I just want to write that. My next step is right there. There's a place for you to write that. And then when it says, I will do this by... I don't want it to be any later than next Sunday. It's just one step. But if it's before then, maybe it's tomorrow. I'm going to see them at work tomorrow and I need to do that. I need to write that down. These are your instructions for the next week. This is your homework. Okay? Be interested to hear how many of you do your homework. One more thing. Alyssa already said it. The overwhelming majority of us are anxious right now just even thinking about these conversations and when we're going to start them and how we're going to respond. And we feel so unqualified and inadequate and unprepared. But Jesus says in John 15, 8, that it is to his father's glory that we bear much fruit. Now I want you to think about a piece of fruit for a minute. Think about a piece of fruit for a minute. What do you see inside fruit? Seeds. You see seeds inside fruit. You look at this apple. The apple seed has all of the DNA it needs to produce what? more apples, more trees, bunches of apples, right? An orchard full of trees. All of the DNA to produce an entire orchard of trees is in one of those apple seeds. And I believe that in the same way that Jesus, if we have the Jesus DNA in in us, we have everything that we need to produce a whole orchard full of disciples, full of fruit bearing disciples. I, I believe that Jesus never gives us a command without giving us the means to do it. So I just want to encourage you this morning. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're growing in your identity and your intimacy and your integrity, not perfect, but growing in those areas, you have inside of you all of the DNA it takes to be a disciple maker. You have all the DNA that you need to bear much fruit. You can do this. You can do this. We can do this. We must do this. There's a whole world of people out there counting on us. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an overwhelming challenge this morning to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded. But that's what you've, that's the call you've placed on our heart. Jesus, you promise that you will teach us how to fish for people. We need you. Lord, we want to follow you into this. We want to do this because we know that there are people dying all over the world who don't know you. And we have the answer. Lord, help us to spread your word this week. In Jesus' name, amen.